Well, what a powerful time of praise that has been, has it not? I mean, uh, that was really a um, rendition of the sermon this morning being sung to each other. So we are, we are ready by our praise, I think, for the proclamation of God's Word. I won't sing the sermon to you. There was a rousing applause in the first service when I said that. You, you seem to be a little nice. You just laugh at me. I'm not sure which is nicer. But uh, nevertheless, thank you, Brett, for that small applause. But God has something very important to tell us this morning, and I trust that you have your Bibles with you. We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians, but let's open in prayer. Our Father, uh, thank you for, being, for, for allowing us to be in the congregation this morning. There's no place like being right here, proclaiming to each other, singing praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be able to lift up our voices and to be able to remind each other that we have a living Lord, a resurrected Savior who is alive today and forevermore and has made us alive in Christ. And we have this powerful testimony to tell each other and to tell the world and to live out in our lives. And, oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to open up our hearts and minds to uh, your proclamation to us today, what you want to tell us. I pray, oh, God, that our hearts would be inclined to listen and be submissive to you. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to know your heart. And thank you that you have revealed uh, your mind, your, uh, your will to us by your word. And I pray, O oh Father, that we will here at Calvary continue to uh, take God's word seriously, uh, not by simply knowing it, but by living it out. And so, Father, I pray that you would take this now, take your word now, and um, um, open up our lives to the possibilities of what it would mean to live in full application of what you want us to have today. I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in a study done in 2012, uh, they uh, were studying the uh, number of Christian denominations in the world. Anybody want to take a stab at how many there are? 4,000. Nice try. Multiply it by 10. There are 43,000 Christian denominations in our world today. 43,000. Now, I need to quickly tell you that of that 43,000, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 of those are in Africa alone because every pastor there is his own denomination. But so even, even taking that into account, that leaves us with over 10,000 really different Christian denominations. Um, maybe you aren't aware, but in North America alone, there are 1,500 different Christian denominations. In the, the year 1900, there were 1,600 denominations in the entire world. Now there are 43,000 Christian denominations. There are 78 different Baptists in North America. Can you imagine? 93 different Baptists in the world. It's no wonder our world outside of Christ is completely confused about our message. Because I'm not sure we're settled on our message. 
It's a tragic thing in a way as you think about it. And it has everything to do, and we're going to see this in a few moments, with our unwillingness to pay attention to the Word of God. Our unwillingness to listen to what Paul the Apostle had to say about this very thing at the very earliest formation of the church of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we're going to be this morning. So it is very tragic that we can't get our heads wrapped around uh, the reality of our central message, or certainly we're having trouble understanding who our head really is. There's an awful lot of ego, a lot of arrogance in Christianity, and it's obviously terribly confusing to the world outside of the Christian faith. We have a lot of flurry, we have a lot of noise, we have a lot of puffery, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, we don't have very much power. And so this morning we're asking the question, where's the power? It kind of reminded me of that commercial, you know, where's the meat? I think the Christian church, the big thing that should be asked of a Christian church, about every Christian church is, where's the power? Because I think we're living in the day of Mick Church. I didn't make that up, somebody else made it up. I don't know who it is, but we're in the era of Mick Church. Have it your way or find some place that does it your way and then try to settle there until it no longer does it your way and then go somewhere else to find your way all over again. So we're living in the era of McChurch, consumer church, because we want to have it our way rather than it would seem Christ's church. It may be that there are a couple of things that are problematic for us as Christians. In fact, a lot of uh, younger people are dropping the label Christian, and I understand why they would, and they simply want to call themselves followers of Jesus, because the label Christian, with 43,000 different varieties and stripes, is probably too confusing. And I understand why they would, but let's, let's uh, take a look at perhaps a couple of reasons why we are where we are today. And, and the first question really revolves around this. Is Christianity simply an add-on to my existing life, or is it a complete replacement? Uh, because, in fact, what, what I think we encounter a lot of in, in the whole realm of Christianity is the idea that, hey, the things of Jesus are really nice, and the things of the church are really interesting, but, but uh, I, I'm really looking for something that I can just add to my existing life and maybe, maybe um, beef up my faith a little bit, beef up some... I have nothing to do on Sundays anyway, and, and it's sort of like an add-on to our lives. It gives us sort of some status in society. Yes, we're churchgoers. We have some sort of faith. We're, we're related to some uh, organization, and, and we see it as an add-on as opposed to a replacement for everything we ever knew before Christ. I mean, let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say about Christianity when he says, for me, to live is Christ, Philippians 1.21. He, he writes to the uh, Galatians and says, I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I, I live by faith in the Son of God. And, and uh, the the. Christianity that was presented from the, the early founders in the scriptures is not an add-on to our already existing pagan lives. It was a complete radical replacement for the way we used to live. The second question I think that has to be broached in understanding the nature of, of this Christian confusion is, is Christianity about pragmatics or about power? 
Is it about human strategies that work? Or is it something more than that? Paul, writing his second letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 and 4, says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Because, as he goes on to write to the Ephesians, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil. Uh, The reality of uh, the whole Christian enterprise is we are up against strong and powerful evil forces that cannot be combated by pragmatic human strategies. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But if we are going to embrace pragmatic human strategies to combat the supernatural power of evil and wickedness in high places, we don't stand a chance. We must fight the war with divine weapons that have divine power. Now, Corinth... This early founded church, it appears, was shopping for wisdom, and they came upon Christ. And uh, it was chic, it was the in thing, it was sexy to be able to get into the marketplace and discuss the latest ideas back and forth. It was the powers of rhetoric, proclamation arguments. And so they were interested in this new philosophy called Christianity. What they were most interested in is this new wisdom that had come into their midst. And now they were partakers or at some possession of this great wisdom. And so they were shopping for wisdom and they came upon Christ. The problem with that is that they were still mostly enamored with wisdom and were trying to package Christianity in the wisest way possible so that they would fit in with the culture around them. So we pick up the text this morning. It's a long text we're going to look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10. We're going to go right through chapter 2, verse 16. But it is a, it is a together thought that we're going to bring together. And I guess the question that we're really asking in terms of this consumer approach to Christianity, is maybe we're missing out on what belonging to Christ really means. And this is what the Apostle Paul is correcting. He's grieved to hear what's going on in Corinth. He's, after all, in Ephesus. Um, Corinth is in modern-day Greek. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey. He's separated from them. And, uh, wonders, and, and we wonder if they're really missing out on what Christianity really was, because what Christianity really is, is having Christ, the hope of glory. I think um, it was very distressing to have the, the, uh, the person who has the biggest platform for Christianity, at least a form of Christianity in our world, come to North America this week and stand before all of the movers and shapers of the world 
at the United Nations and come to the Congress and, and stand before all of the powerful people of the United States and never once in any of his speeches mention the name Jesus Christ. Never once. The alleged head of the church never once mentions the head of the church. Now there's something clearly wrong with that and that describes fundamentally what Paul is concerned about here is are we looking at this person? Are we looking at this method? Are we looking at this way of saying things? And we're missing the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is Jesus Christ crucified, died for our sins, buried, rose again in victory and at the right hand of Father. Here the man who allegedly represents Christ, the vicar of Christ allegedly standing before all of the people ready to listen, and he doesn't mention the name of Jesus Christ even once. So you can see not all denominations are embracing the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we pick up the text here in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of of Pope Francis. No, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Imagine that. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, I want to stop here for a second and say, Paul is not demeaning baptism here. He is simply making the point that obviously baptism follows our embracing of faith. He's simply saying, let nothing eclipse the message of Christ, crucified, buried, and risen again. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You can't empty the cross of Christ of its power, but you can treat it as if it's powerless. That's the point he's making here. He's saying if you're going to choose to be enamored with the wisdom of humans, the the, the preaching that comes from human wisdom, you are going to empty the cross of its value to change lives. And so he continues on. For the message of the cross admittedly is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than men's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught, as by, uh, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. What an amazing text of scripture this is. I, I, I pray, I've been praying, and I hope that this will be a, a humongous encouragement to your hearts today and a real re reorientation of who we are here at Calvary, who you are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are three big challenges that I want to um, uh, flesh out this morning and, uh, from this text. And the first has to do with this question that Paul raises in the first verses in 10 through 17. 
Are you a fan of a certain brand or a groupie of a certain guy and missing the point of the cross? We live in an era that I thought was unique, but apparently, as you read the scriptures, is not. We live in an era that is enamored by the superstars, the special people, the, 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 uh, the, the stars of our society. And we probably wouldn't admit this, but, but in some ways, um, maybe Christ is just an excuse for us to, to latch on to some sort of hero, some sort of person we... We are our favorite speaker, gather at a favorite place to belong, or maybe just an excuse. Christianity and Christ are just an excuse to, to sort of fit into a social group or, or belong somewhere, or maybe just to, to settle on a religion, a religion or a faith. Yes, I, I, I guess I was raised in a Christian home in a Christian country, so I guess I'm a Christian. Maybe, maybe we're missing the whole point after all. And, and Paul, as he notices here, when they so soon after he has delivered to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, are, are now having forming... Uh, they're becoming groupies around certain individuals. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's just to, to satisfy our need to be accepted by somebody important. You know, I often wonder about the whole, our whole movement in particular evangelical Christianity and the whole star thing of the, of the, the people oogling and awing over the Pope who's come to North America. This, I mean, nobody oogles over Jesus but they're oogling over this man, and, 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 and you know, we're, we're, we're the same way. Oh, I go to, jo- I go to James McDonald's church, and I, he knows me, and I know him, or it's, whether it's John Piper or John MacArthur, and we quarrel. The Piperites quarrel with the MacArthurites, with the Bakerites. Wait a second, I don't have anybody. <laughs> or I'm, F- I'm David Platt, or I'm Stephen Furtick, or I'm Perry Noble. It's like, no, you're Jesus. You, you belong to the Lord. It seems to me now that it's, it's, it's more about the, who, the, the coolness of the, of the one who's proclaiming the truth. Like, want to go to a church where, oh yeah, our pastor's really cool. Like, he's a, he's a hipster nerd, you know, and, and, um, and he's got tats. And, and he goes out and he has brewskis with the, with the parishioners all week long and has vulgar language. And, and I guess I can be cool too. It's like, what? You, you know that when nerds become cool and there's a fourth blood moon that for sure Jesus is coming back. Right? I mean, I, I mean honestly, that, 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 like when you put those two together, nerds are cool and there's a blood moon, like that's, hey, you better get ready because Jesus might be coming tonight. I mean, seriously. He, we know he's coming back. And so Paul is really rankled here. He's like, and you're quarreling with each other. And, and he makes the point here, he says in verse 10, uh, uh, that, that here's, here's what I'm telling you in the name of Jesus that you agree with one another. It's one gospel. You need to be saying the same thing, in other words. There should be no divisions among you. And and, and he says you you should be united in mind and thought. You should think the same way because there's one Holy Spirit. And he's going to go on to explain the reality of that and and, and why we should be on the same page. Uh, One gospel, one Holy Spirit, one faith, one truth. One Jesus. Is Jesus divided? We're, we're, did Jesus say, did, did Paul save you? Did, did uh, John Piper save you? Is he your savior? Did he die for you? Was he rose, did he rise again for you? Are you baptized in his name? So, so this issue of, of, of the whole idea of, of groupies and, and, and gathering around groupies. And then the second point he makes in this very same chapter, very same section in verse 17, he says, listen, I, I come preaching about Christ, but you're really enamored by human wisdom and it's really distressing to me. 
human wisdom. You're interested in personal empowerment and life extension and global health and wealth promotion. You know, um, again, the leader of the largest visual church in an opportunity to address people about the heart of Jesus Christ goes before them and talks about immigration. And of course we care and love immigrants. He talks about the poor. And of course the poor matter. Remember what Jesus said? The poor you will have with you always, but... And, and he talks about global warming. And, and of course we're to be stewards of our world. But in this grand audience of people listening on, in the world, it, it's on CNN 24-7. All they can talk about is this. And he decides not to talk about abortion. He decides not to, to talk about God's values in marriage. He decides not to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what do you think Jesus would have done if he had an audience like that? And so, Christianity is becoming um, popular as a pietistic thing, but not a doctrinal thing. Nobody wants to hear about the great truths of the scriptures that kind of rub up against the way we're living People want Christianity to be about values and morals as long as you don't mention Jesus. You can't have values and morals that make a difference in a person's life unless they have Jesus. And so we become captivated. Are, are we captivated by the power of personality or religious bias and maybe missing out on the point of the gospel, the power of our salvation, the power for our salvation? That's why the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. They were ashamed of the gospel. Corinth was a bit ashamed of the gospel. Now, now don't get me wrong. Apollos is a great guy. Paul himself said, this guy knows the deep truths of God. Once Priscilla and Aquila straightened him out. There's nothing wrong with Cephas. Who's Cephas? Don't be afraid. I won't yell at you if you're wrong. Peter. Nothing wrong with Peter. Brought the message of the Lord. Paul. It's not that these... Nothing wrong with MacArthur. Nothing wrong with Piper. Nothing wrong with Platt. The point is, they were allowing these personalities to eclipse the vision of Christ and the message of Christ. And so we can quickly move from personalities and brand to what is the teaching. In verses 16 or verse 18 and down to chapter 2, 5, Paul concedes here, yes, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Yet you're going to go into the marketplace, Paul says, and yeah, in, in this place that's enamored by wisdom, they're going to think you've lost your mind. Of course they are. The message of the gospel 
is complete foolishness to people who are perishing. And then he goes on to explain why. He goes on to point out that, well, after all, the Jews are going to be looking for spectacular signs. The Greeks are going to be looking for spectacular wisdom. And what are you bringing them? You're bringing them the message of a crucified God. It doesn't seem strong, and it doesn't seem smart. It seems like you've lost your mind, Paul. This is the message that you've asked us to go to the street with. And he makes the point here in the text. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. At odds here, as Paul is going to describe now, is this contest between the message of the cross and human wisdom. The message of the wisdom of the world in particular. And so he makes the point here, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Notice what he says in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. He says, listen, I know, you're being, I know you're being taken to task out there as losing your mind, but let me just mention to you something. How wise are the scholars and the philosophers and the intelligentsia of our world when their wisdom is unable to bring them to the knowledge of God? The most real of real the, the ultimate reality is the God of the universe and their so-called wisdom, the wisdom of this world, is not even able to take you there. How smart can it be? So where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? Where is the intellectual? We, we live in an age that worships the issues of education and proposes that the answers to all things are found in, 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 the, in the intellectual, in the intelligentsia. Paul says, I want to tell you about real power and real wisdom. The power of God, the gospel message, a crucified God, a crucified Messiah that sounds lame to the world. This is the best you have to bring to us? You bring your champion and he dies, that's the best you have for us? The world rejects it, thinks it's foolish, thinks it lacks power, that it's weak. Paul says, consider this. In the weakness of our great God, who gave himself in his son to die for us, it is in that act of weakness that we gained the power of Christ. You think it's foolish? Here's the foolishness. The foolishness of God was to determine a plan that would both be merciful to people and would mete out justice against sin. 
I'll talk to you about wisdom, Paul says. The wisdom of a plan, the plan of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, where the sinless Son of God stands in as a substitute punishment for the sins of people so that justice could be accomplished at the same time as mercy was extended to people who would believe. At the cross, justice and mercy kissed that the wisdom of the ages would be presented to people. Paul says, I submit to you, therefore, that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not the academia, not the intellectuals, not Bill Nye, the science guy. I'd like to see him stand before Almighty God and spout off his intelligence, his so-called intelligence about power and wisdom in the face of Almighty God who has demonstrated already the ultimate in power and the ultimate in wisdom in our world. The wisdom of this world is about accommodating the way you are. J.I. Packer, who's a very smart man, has recently left the traditional Anglican faith because of its increasing departure from the scriptures. Packer writes this in describing and, and helping us to understand why he left. He talks about um, Christianity being enamored by experience. And he writes this, the second view in terms of interpretation or understanding of how we should be the church. The second view applies to Christianity, the enlightenment's trust in human reason. Which is what Paul's talking about here, human wisdom, human reason. Along with the fashionable evolutionary assumption that the present is wiser than the past. It concludes that the world has the wisdom and the church must play intellectual catch-up in each generation in order to survive. From this standpoint, everything in the Bible becomes relative to the church's evolving insights which themselves are relative to society's continuing development. Nothing stands still. And the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry is to help the faithful see where Bible doctrine shows the cultural limitations of the ancient world and needs adjustment in light of latter-day experience, encounters, interactions, and perplexities, states of mind and emotion, and so on. Same-sex unions are one example. This view is scarcely 50 years old, though its antecedents go back much further. The question that's raised is, are we drawn to teaching that accommodates the way we are, and are we missing out on the message of the cross? It, it, the reason we have so many different stripes of Christian denominations today is because people are interested in Jesus as Savior, but they want their experiences to be their Lord. And that's the reality of the, of the, of the state of our world that we live in. And J.I. Packer makes this very, very strategic point that we have to understand is that what's going on around us 
is an arrogance, an intellectual arrogance that suggests that God's word, the ancient text, is out of touch with the modern reality and that your experiences and what you've learned in science and university far eclipses the wisdom of the God who called the universe into existence. That's the foolishness of man, but that's the message that's out there. And so we have a whole bunch of people who are saying, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but my experience is, and my experience is going to be Lord of my life. And so I'm going to form another denomination that will accommodate my experiences while I try to hold on to Jesus somehow. That's what Paul was concerned about then. And that's what continues to be the case today. There is only one gospel. And this Christ, in his power and wisdom, has brought knuckleheads and ragamuffins like you and me into his kingdom. Notice what he says here. Not many of you were wise by human standards. You weren't influential. You weren't of noble birth. Guess what? God is building his kingdom on ragamuffins and knuckleheads. Because he doesn't need the movers and shapers of this world to make his kingdom great because Christ is great. He doesn't choose the, necessarily the influential and the shapers and the movers and the, in, the intellectuals because he doesn't want to give the impression that he's been bribed like all the other gods of the ages, by the movers and shapers to do what he wants them to do. God is completely independent. And the final uh, reality in this whole thing is that the foolishness of the kerygma, the word he uses here, the preaching and the foolishness of the kerygnum, by the way, the con content of the preaching, a crucified Messiah is what saves people who believe. I mean, that's what power, it, it, is, it is the power of God to bring into salvation. And this final section that he wants to really bring this, all this anti-intellectualism and this foolishness talk and this wisdom and power talk, he brings it to a final conclusion and, and makes the point, are you attracted to the latest model of doing ministry and missing out on the real message of wisdom? Because he says to them, listen, when I came to you, I, I didn't come with eloquence or persuasion or superior wisdom, but I did bring a message of wisdom. Let's understand here that, that uh, there, there's a lot of impressive things that humans can do. Hollywood has already demonstrated to, that to us. In terms of proclaiming and bringing messages, the, the humans can, can invent incredibly powerful and attractive ways. There's nothing like a, a, an Apple new product launch. I mean, let's face it. Mankind can, can bring to the platform something pretty amazing. But Paul says, I, I, I got to come back to something for you. The message of the wisdom of God, which he says has been hidden, the secret wisdom of God hidden, which was a plan before the beginning of time, which was that his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his wisdom and power would come and give his life a ransom for many. He said that was hidden. And he says, uh, in fact, he quotes a text from Isaiah, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No, this isn't a heaven text. 
This has been so abused. People grab onto this. Well, I just got to tell you, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has laid up for me. For those, no, this was about the, the Calvary story prophesied by Isaiah that has now come to pass. This is the amazing story, Paul says. Listen, get your eyes and your mind wrapped around this. This is the great story, the, cr- the cross of Jesus Christ. No eye conceived of this. No mind could think of this that, that God had prepared for those who he loves. But it says here, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. We already know about it. And he says here, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. They were wanting to move on from the story of the gospel. We've got to get into deeper things, Paul. That's, he says, okay, fine. The spirit will move you there. For who among you knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit? And then he makes his final statement here. Who is it that knows the mind of a man? Or maybe he could have said the mind of a woman. And then everybody would have said, nobody knows the mind of a woman. Nice. But who, who of us knows the mind of a man? Kelvin, who knows your mind best? You. Kelvin knows his mind best. Notice what he says next. Who knows the mind of God best? What does he say there? God knows the mind of God best. And what have we received by way of salvation? The Spirit of God. He says, listen, the final, my final coup de gras, hopefully Alain isn't here, is this. When you want to talk to me about wisdom, I'll talk to you about wisdom. How's this for wisdom? Every believer has received the Holy Spirit of God. So that when you are questioned on your intellectual prowess, on whether or not you've lost your mind because you've come to Christ. Know this, that all the wisdom of the universe has moved in to your life so that now you know the mind of Almighty God. So don't let anybody in the marketplace talk to you about foolishness. And he goes on to say, and no one can judge you they may, pre- they may heap judgment upon you about whether you should do this or whether this is right or whether this is wrong. You have the mind of Christ. They have no right, no platform to judge you. You're the ones who stand on the platform able to judge on the basis of having the word and mind of God because of the cross of Christ. So Paul says, all your fancy schmancy therapies and your seminars and your forms and your styles and your strategic plans and your new discipline this and new discipline that and your new technique this and your new technique that are all human attempts to prop up human-powered organizations. But we have the whole counsel of God and the mind of Christ and he basically says I rest my case I think that's what he said when he puts in the when he when he just leaves it off at the end of the chapter but we have the mind of Christ 
The thinking of this age is coming to nothing, but the message of wisdom is the ability to understand and welcome the mind of God. We've been relying on clever over the power of the cross. We've been relying on therapy over theology, growth by marketing instead of disciple-making, human ingenuity over the message of the cross, spectacular over spiritual, inner belief over outer behavior, and sexy over the Spirit's actual power. Many of us have been searching for the right thing, but maybe in the wrong ways. And my heart's desire in my life and for our congregation is this, that people recognize in us what the prophet Zechariah talks about in Zechariah 8.23. When choosing a church, when choosing a gathering, when choosing a congregation, when choosing a called-out group that really represents Christ, may it be said of us that people say this, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Our Father, I pray this morning as we have been taken on a journey by the Spirit of God through the Word of God into the very heart of wisdom and power in its true definition, its true identity in Christ. Christ, the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God. What looks foolish and weak to the world that's perishing is incredibly powerful and unparalleled in its wisdom. So, oh God, I pray that we might not be ashamed of the gospel and, and not, be, not feel we need to move on to some deeper things when in truth, the heart of Christ and going into the heart of Christ is a journey into the deep that the Holy Spirit himself takes us. I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged and excited about who we are and what we have. There are no end of uh, human messages. There's no end to intellectual discovery. The intellectuals will rewrite the history of morality on the basis of whatever the experience is today. We recognize we live in an age where if someone wants to say they're the 15th gender, a university will declare it to be true. But oh God, we who believe in you and follow Christ as our Savior and Lord affirm our commitment to the truth and thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit of God to shape us and direct us and cause us to welcome the truth and understand it. We praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, glory, glory, glory. Can you imagine 
that the Lord Jesus Christ, for those of us who know him as our Lord and Savior, that power of Christ, the wisdom of Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God is resident in us. So when you are out on the street and someone is uh, criticizing you for being soft-headed because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to look them in the eye and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the smartest of them all? Is it not the God of the universe who called creation into existence and now lives in us? And I need to tell you, friend, that that same wisdom, the Holy Spirit himself, lives in me and lives in you if you know Christ. So who's the wise ones in our world? Are they not those who have embraced the message of Jesus Christ? Congratulations on a very wise choice. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, He opens up His arms wide to you today and invites you into His family. Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, loves us so much that He willingly gave His life that we might have everlasting life by trusting Him, by believing in Him. That salvation is available to all who call on the name of Christ. Won't you meet us here this morning after the service? We'd love to show you how you can come to faith, come to a personal relationship, and have the Spirit of God living in you. It's a great message. It's a powerful message. It's a wonderful truth. Let's, let's build our confidence on who we are and our identity and say no to our experience and yes to the truth of Jesus Christ. Our Father... I pray and thank you this morning for your truth. I pray, Lord God, that we would hold the line on the message of the cross, that it might not lose its power in our midst, in our message, in our ministry and mission, oh God. May it be central to everything we are. Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God and the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen.